We haven't figured out all our strategies, but we have learned from the past and we know what's made possible when we know our history. And we believe today, and I can say this more determined than ever, that a free Palestine is the roadmap to global justice. That was Laura Kiswani from the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. And that does it for today's show. If you want more information, visit us at radioproject.org or leave us a comment on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Lucy Kang. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Portland, 90.7 FM in the Portland metro area and all over the world at KBU.FM. Tune in to KBU on Saturday, February 17th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for a special live remote broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream. Keep Alive the Dream is an annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This year's event includes guest speakers and musical performances from the MLK All-Star Band, Eli Hardy, and more. Again, that's a special live broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream, Saturday, February 17th, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., here on your community radio station, KBOO, Portland. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available on our website at kbu.fm. KBU's Board of Directors meets on the fourth Monday of the month at 6 p.m. This month's meeting will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland and online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting virtually can be found on our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held. Hello, my name is Jeff, and I host a show entitled A Matter of Public Records that is broadcast on KBU the second and fourth Saturdays of every month from 3 to 6 a.m. It is a somewhat eclectic show where the song choices are often instinctual, based on the prior song. Tune in and you might hear some instrumentals, some slightly avant-garde music, punk, post-punk, indie rock, jazz. To my ears, it is a classic late-night radio show. That's a matter of public records every second and fourth Saturday from 3 to 6 a.m. on KBOO 90.7 FM. This is Cesar Chavez. You're listening to KBOO, listener-sponsored radio. Welcome to Labor Radio on KBOO Portland. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we would first just like to give a special thanks and shout-out to the Labor Radio Podcast Network, for hosting podcasted versions of our show each month. So be sure to check that out at laborradionetwork.org. Um, and so now today we're gonna to be discussing the fact that last week, the Biden administration's Department of Labor 
announced a significant change in the federal labor rule that classifies workers as either independent contractors or full employees. Um, and in a reversal of a Trump-era ruling, the new policy would affect reclassify a large number of freelance workers across many industries, making them eligible for full employee status. Yeah, and full employee status obviously would allow them to access more employee benefits and protections such as minimum wage, overtime pay, unemployment insurance, and obviously the right to unionize as well. Yeah, which is a huge deal. And, you know, the rule is set to take effect in March, I think like March 11th or something like that. Um, And uh, it says, you know, basically the rule says a worker should be classified as an employee under federal law based on multiple factors, including the degree of control an employer has over the person's work and the permanence of that work relation, working relationship. And yeah, so like, you know, prime is, uh, examples of, of these jobs that are going to be, you know, up for reclassification are folks like janitors. Uh, home hair, like care workers, construction workers, truck drivers, uh, and you know, among many other types of jobs that stand to benefit from this change. Um, but also, on top of that, this is also being hailed as a major victory for gig workers that could really force a shift in the business model of the companies that rely on them for you know their business. Um, so you know, of course, uh, the ruling is expected to face serious legal challenges spearheaded by, you know, some of the major Fortune 500 companies wholly dependent on freelance gig workers such as Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, you know, the, the, the primary culprits in the gig economy. Um, and in fact, you know, rideshare giants Uber and Lyft, who have been fighting, you know, such miscla- uh, reclassification efforts for years, most notably by funding the 2020 campaign for Prop 22 in California, uh, they those companies have announced that they do not plan to grant their drivers employee status, regardless of what the new ruling is. Um, so, you know, both companies, uh, both Lyft and Uber and also DoorDash have reassured investors that the rule change would bring about, quote, no immediate impact, end quote. Um, and that's a belief that appears to be reflected in the fact that neither company's stocks were perceptibly affected by the announcement of the rule change. Um, and, you know, honestly, like, why why would they be affected, really? Like, up to this point, there's been no significant legal or regulatory, regulatory punishment uh, that has been felt by these companies based on their, you know, business model of worker exploitation. So why would they be concerned? Why do you think, you know, why would shareholders be concerned? And why would their stock prices be affected just by simply the announcement of a rule that might roll out in three months? So that's not that shocking. But... On top of that, um, the major gig economy companies, as well as a multitude of other businesses, large and small, you know, have really reaped significant benefit uh, for years now from a, uh, a preferential ruling handed down by the Trump-era Labor Department, which exempted many of their workers from the full employee categorization. Um, but despite, you know, in spite of all that, the fact that Biden's Labor Department has taken this notable step to shore up employee protections does bode well for the future job security of, you know, some of this country's most precarious workers, you know, folks who are classified as gig workers. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we've covered this topic so many times on this show, but I, I think yeah. re- it's really important to do so because it's a really complicated topic, right? Um, I think there is inherent value in the freedom and independence that is offered by some of these jobs, but a lot of that is used to cloak 
kind of practices that are against a lot of the spirit of the laws that exist, right? Whether or not they're being enforced. And so, you know, it it is this thing where there, I think there is a legitimate conversation to be had. And the problem is, is we're not really having it because there's kind of a lot of rhetoric that's just being thrown around in order to protect profits, right? Um, Yeah. You know, it's it's really easy for a company that's primarily run through gig economy work to, you know, claim they're disrupting industries like right, like Uber and Lyft. And, you know, basically what the market has shown is it turns out having a private chauffeur is expensive. And, you know, <laughs> the only way to lower your overhead is to, to, to pay the people less. Right. Which is why they were able to displace the taxi companies. Obviously, you know, obviously the, the taxi companies weren't doing everything right. But, you know, they were at least, you know, they were unionized and they were paying people a fair wage to do their work. And, you know, I, I think from our perspective, we really just don't want decades of work that unions have done to be overrun kind of in the spirit of like fake independent work. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, like there are legitimate situations where some of the work being done that is classified as independent contractor is legitimately that. And it mm. is beneficial for the person doing that work. It's just, as you said, like the sort of the the corporate creep that happens into that where, you know, then more and more jobs then become classified as contract work versus employee or, you know, employee or employee relationship work. And then that, you know, that finding that that defining line is yeah. kind of the really important thing that tends to get missed when this just goes back and forth between administration and administration, you know, rescinding the law and then, re, you know, altering the law back and forth. Um, so, yeah, it is an important conversation. And I'm glad that finally it's being taken up at the federal level because it, you know, as we mentioned earlier, like it has happened in certain states. Certain states have specifically like California have attempted to deal with misclassification on their own level. But, you know, even California being the home of a lot of these tech companies and, you know, one of the largest economies in the world, uh, you know, say nothing about the country, it's still hard for one state to enact a law that then does not reflect what the federal uh, status is. So Mm. it's great that the Biden administration is approaching this, um, even, you know, if it doesn't roll out exactly as they've said it would. Um, You know, so many of these workers uh, have spent years at the mercy of fluctuating conditions and, you know, lack of protections which really sows instability in their lives and livelihoods. And it's sort of all done at the whim of, you know, their corporate clients, you know. So if you are a contractor, your your boss is not your employer, they're your contract or they're your client really in a way. Which yeah. is a silly relationship. Yeah. And and like we mentioned, yeah. right, like the Labor Department has announced this rule, but it remains to be seen the extent to which they will enforce it, which again We've talked about yeah. so many times, like the power of the executive branch relies so much on who's appointed where and kind of how are people reading the spirit of these laws. So obviously we'll need to to see as time passes. Yeah, because, you know, it is one thing to roll out a rule. It's another thing to actually have the the employee power, you know, the the, the numbers within the, the enforcement departments to enforce it. And as, as it stands right now, the Biden administration actually does not have a permanent uh, uh head of the department of labor it's just an interim head right now so Mm -hmm. you know even even that department itself that's rolling out this new rule still is in a a situation of flux where they don't have a permanent leader so hopefully that is something that can change but um you know the recent history of employee contractor classification 
has been something of a tug of war, as we were mentioning, between Democratic and Republican administrations. Um, and, you know, at the, the the changeover in administrations, the Labor Department pivoted from a more worker-friendly rule that was instituted during the, uh, you know, Barack Obama's tenure um, to the, the Trump-appointed department's rule, which basically just reversed everything that uh, its predecessor's approach had, had laid out, um, mm-hmm. which... Yeah. Yeah, which was obviously, you know, setting up a clear giveaway to corporate power in pretty typical Trump administration fashion. Yeah, like it is it's regulatory capture to a T really, which is pretty crazy. Uh but also not surprising because that's exactly what every bit of the Trump administration uh regulatory body did. Um but you know, uh, this the rule that the Trump administration did roll out was issued just before they were like basically shoved out the door in 2021. Um and that decision was called the Independent contractor status under the Fair Labor Act Standards Act, or more uh, simply, the IC rule, um, which is yeah, and by, a lot and essentially, to yeah, yeah, and essentially, it just narrowed the definition of an employee, which just made it easier to count more people, uh, yeah, as gig workers, right, or as independent contractors. Yeah, it basically, just changed the the setup so that more like a larger swath of the the working workforce could be considered that exactly. Uh, so now the Biden administration's Department of Labor has pledged to uh, retract the Trump administ- the Trump era's IC rule, uh, reinstating a policy closely resembling the longstanding prior condition that existed, you know, up through the Obama administration. Um, and as uh, UC Irvine law professor Vina Duval put it in a recent interview, um, quote, the Biden rule harkens back to the Obama rule, uh, which uses a totality of the circumstances analysis to judge whether a worker is economically dependent on their employer, end quote. So, you know, I had to look this up, but uh, that totality of the circumstances analysis that Duval mentioned um, involves testing an employment situation based on six factors to determine whether or not a worker is, in fact, economically dependent on their employer for work. Um, and in this test, there's no single factor or group of factors that is assigned a uh, predetermined weight. So all of the, the factors that are rolled out can be weighed evenly or based on the circumstances, some can be weighed more than others. But there's no predetermined weight for each of these specific points that we are now going to roll out. Um, so, yeah, this, the six factors considered are uh, opportunity for profit or loss depending on managerial skill. Um, investments made by the worker and the potential employer, uh, the degree to which, uh, sorry, the degree of permanence for the work relationship, uh, the nature and degree of control, um, the extent to which the work performed is an integral part of the employer's business, which, you know, was a longstanding consideration prior to the Trump era changes in 2021. Uh, And finally, the the final factor is uh, skill and initiative. So those are the, the six points that's basically the rubric that the department of labor has laid out that they can then evaluate each position um uh, upon and then determine whether or not they are in fact uh, an independent contractor or should be reclassified as an actual employee mm-hmm. um, and, and whether businesses want to acknowledge it or not having rules like this while again still complicated because it's a complicated topic actually benefit both sides 
because it really yeah. makes it a lot easier to understand where you sit both as a business as an employee because when both people don't know then you, you just you can't make any sort of decision that's coming from any substantive factor um yeah. so you know whether they're going to admit it or not i think it's better to just have clear rules in place right like it's ultimately going to benefit as you said, everyone just just make it clear rather than just sort of have a situation where you know the employer gets to exploit the loophole, or you know in some cases the employee gets to maybe skirt some of the the regulations that would maybe make their job safer or you know any types of things like that. But well, um, you know, because yeah. people always talk about the other op, the other kind of the way people take get taken advantage of, where a company does it to a contractor. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I've personally been in situations where contractors can weasel their way into very important parts of a corporation and charge like overtime right. in these things that don't necessarily align, especially in tech places or in tech businesses right so you know i do think it can go both ways though obviously it's it's much more common in the the company to worker scenario um yeah. you know but if you're able to get into a position where you are substantially kind of working towards the output of a business and then you've been able to stay a contractor while everyone else around you is fte you are benefiting kind of more so than the, than you would in a traditional sense yeah, it, it, it is certain, you know, in that type of situation, it does then become sort of unfair to the people you're directly working with. You're like your co-workers, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so, you know, as you said, like this rule and clarifying it is actually just going to be beneficial for everyone, despite, you know, what some of the rhetoric might be and, you know, how some of the, the legal departments of these companies may look at it. I think this is a ben mutual benefit for uh, both sides, employer and employee. Um but quickly, you know, just here, if, if you were just tuning in, this is Labor Radio on KBOO Portland. Uh, we are discussing the new rule that is being rolled out by the Biden Department, uh, Biden administration's Labor Department uh, regarding the misclassification of uh, workers as independent contractors versus employees. Um, and so that is what we're going to continue discussing here. Um, so, you know, for obvious reasons, business owners have been known to go to considerable lengths to avoid granting workers, you know, full employee status, as we were mentioning, uh, and such misclassification of workers as independent contractors does have a significant um, and often overlooked impact on the working class. Uh, and so, you know, in 2022, the Economic Policy Institute, or the EPI, uh, released a report on the practice uh, analyzing 11 often misclassified jobs. And per the report, um, if classified incorrectly, a typical construction worker as an independent contractor would lose out on as much as uh, $16,000 per year in income and job benefits compared with what they would have earned uh, as being you know, classified as an employee. Mm -hmm. And similarly, a typical home health aide as an independent contractor would lose out, as, uh, lose out on as much as $9,500 per year in income and job benefits. Yeah. So, you know, deceptive misclassification is a routine tactic that cuts across industries. You know, it's not it's not exclusive just to the gig economy, you know, or tech or anything like that. It is something that, as we mentioned, like it affects folks like janitors and truck drivers. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Biden administration hasn't come out and said it, but I do actually think that, you know, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash are, aren't really the primary target of this because that right. is such a larger fight. Um, so, so I obviously they're not going to come out and say it, but it doesn't appear to me that that's the primary driver for this. Yeah, like they are definitely the most visible examples, uh, you know, because they're the folks that you sort of do interact with 
in that setting. Uh, like, you know, people are, are you are used to using these apps, whether it's DoorDash or Uber or Lyft, and they sort of understand the relationship. And, you know, it's, it's been highly publicized that these workers yeah. are contractors. But as you're saying, that is not the most uh, – they're, they're not necessarily the primary jobs at risk. Yeah, and, so, and that's, you know, that's why all the factors are really important, right? Because at the end of the day, as a Lyft driver, you do have that independence that you can categorize over these other jobs, right? In some of the other things that we're talking about, there are specific deliverables that are required, right? Like your, your project base, there are yes. things that are affecting yeah. the company. And so I, I think there it's much more cut and dry in terms of the conversation. Because, yeah. yeah, like, you know, folks like... You know, we mentioned truck drivers, but also like home health aides, uh, janitors, like nail salon workers, folks like that are also often classified as uh, independent contractors. But unlike, as you're mentioning, you know, the delivery driver or the the you know ride hailing app driver or something like that, who can largely choose the time frame that they want to work and can turn the app on and off based on you know their specific individual needs. You know, if you're like a nail salon worker or if you're a, a, a home you know health care worker or a, a cleaner, you are technically classified as an independent contractor, but you definitely have to show up at the specific times that your boss, you know, and, and do the jobs yeah. that your boss is, uh, is required, or sorry, not your boss, your client uh, is requiring. And there are certain deliverables, as you mentioned, like, you know, a janitor has to clean a certain set of, yeah. rooms or whatever it is you know a certain amount of time Sorry. yeah and we're not and again we're not saying uber and lyft aren't being also being taken advantage of but i think right. in the spirit of independent work they more fit the category than a lot of the other jobs we're talking about yeah like there's more nuance there in in the sense that like yeah it 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 probably has to be re-examined but it is not the most exploited section of the workforce in a very exploited section of the workforce, they yeah. are not. I mean, if, if you're a receptionist, that. if you're a yeah. receptionist working somewhere and you're a contractor, but you work nine to five every day, yep. you can't have other jobs. You can't do these sorts of things, right? Exactly. So essentially, you're just losing out and you're being misclassified. Yeah, like you're expected to be at the desk answering phones and you know receiving uh, folks walking mm-hmm. in for a certain amount of time, and you take a lunch break, but you're not technically an employee of that facility, so you don't get any of the benefits yeah. of being that employee. Like that's that is the extreme example of of the exploitation that is trying to be addressed by this new rule being rolled out by the Biden administration. Yeah, which is well, very well, admirable. We're obviously beating it to death because yeah. we both are very <laughs> passionate about it. But you know, being based in in Oregon, go talk to any Nike person who has a different color badge than somebody else and they're going to know exactly what you're talking about yeah absolutely yeah so it it does it cuts across all industries and it is not even though like the most visible is as we said tech it is something that exists in all sectors of the economy um and you know like as we were mentioning um the epi report notes that you know some of the the big jobs that are uh, going to be affected by this are like landscapers truck drivers Janitors, you know, home health aides and things like that. And considering the the relatively low median annual earnings for workers in these fields, uh, missing out on thousands of dollars a year is really no small figure. Like that is nothing to to just sort of scuff, you know, to write off. Um, and taxes, right? Obviously, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not going to comment on taxes here because we're not <laughs> finance experts, right. we're accounting experts. But <laughs> I can guarantee that there's an impact. 
Absolutely. Yeah, like you do as an independent contractor, you do end up having to figure out your own tax burden and, and put the money aside and then figure that out on your own at, at the end versus having that just automatically pull out of your paycheck every year, which is then just more work put onto you. And it often means that you end up paying more. Like there are some things you can write off, but largely, you know, unless your job is. Well, like, and if you're not in a position yeah. to do it, right? To, right. If, you know, if you're if you're doing this and you're one, you don't have the background in it. Exactly. Or, you know, you're not understood, right? Because these things aren't taught in school. Right. You know, it's it's not as simple as just, oh, you know, do it. Yeah. And like your, you know, your employer, a.k.a. your client is not going to tell you to do that necessarily. Um, but, yeah, that's to say nothing of the general condition of precarity and instability that, that these workers often tend, you know, these work uh, conditions often, you know, lead people to, to a toil in. Um, so really considering all of this, uh, misclassification is not only an issue of wage theft, as we were just laying out, but it also provides employers, both large and small, with a host of opportunities for cutting costs by really exploiting their workers in ways that are not as easily detected. Um, so as a prime example of this that really just kind of came to the fore recently, um, a, a recent report that came out from the Workers' Algorithm Observatory, which is a uh, an initiative being run across multiple universities, you know, research departments in multiple universities around the country. Um, but there, a recent report from them examined how much of a ride shares a rideshare fare goes to the app and how much goes to the driver. Um, and the research determined that companies sometimes take more than half of what a rider pays, noting specifically that with surge pricing rides or you know surge price rides, uh, the most common take was about fifty three percent going to the company versus the driver mm -hmm. and yeah and uh, apparently uber and lyft don't tell their drivers the total cost of a ride um and yeah. like basically the lack of transparency is an intentional part of their efforts to prevent drivers from organizing and kind of understanding their pay right and, and i think we've on the show we've talked a lot about how you know a lot of the drivers feel like they actually work for an algorithm right and not like right. a company and the problem is, is that when it's all done by the algorithm they can make changes to it that aren't you know kind of as front and center as like a memo that can then be right. used in a court case. And it also leads to a situation where like, if you have uh, like an HR concern or any type of like, if you want to dispute uh, something that the app maybe said, oh, well you didn't pick the person up on time or whatever that is, there's there's no human that you immediately contact uh, to deal with. So, you know, you mm -hmm. it just creates a situation that is like you're more easily exploited by the app because it is not a boss that you're immediately it just going to talk to. Really, I mean, obviously we could talk about the algorithm all day, but really it right. creates a separation of like fault. Yes. In a way that I think, you know, the algorithm obviously is helpful and it does things and I'm not saying to get rid of them, but it creates this of separation of fault and kind of blame that has been used in ways that, you know, I, we haven't loved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, positively, like armed with the, the new data from this new report, uh, rideshare drivers have begun to voice their demands for uh, honesty uh, from their employers, uh, actually, sorry, clients. Um, and they are asking that the apps like Uber and Lyft, um, they're asking that they, those apps show drivers what each rider is paying and exactly how much the payment of that payment goes to the driver. Just so that, you know, there's at least just transparency there whether or not they are saying we want more than half of what's coming in. They just want to know so that they understand what it, you know, what it is that the company is taking from them. Um, and, you know, 
respectively, like answering the call from those those drivers. Um, some progressive legislators in the Colorado State House are pushing forward a mandate that gig companies uh, share take rates and other pricing data with their workers. So that is definitely something we'll keep an eye on um, as it moves, and maybe that will even inspire a larger uh, initiative from the federal government. Um, but yeah, you know, just considering all of that, there's there's reason for workers and advocates to place tentative hopes on the top-down federal policy shift uh, being rolled out by the Biden administration now. It's, you know, it's a real substantive change that could represent a major stride towards alleviating, you know, some of these conditions that we've been discussing. Um, and the Labor Department's rule change also comes in the heels of a National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, a decision from this past June um, that similar, similarly rescinded another Trump-era rule, which itself reversed an Obama-era NLRB policy that uh, de-emphasized the role of entrepreneurial opportunity as a factor in the employee determination test. And, you know, in, in a move friendly to gig, uh, gig companies, Trump's NLRB had increased uh, the factor's importance, asserting that so-called entrepreneurial opportunity uh, of a given job should be considered as the animating principle in determining uh, an employee's status. And so obviously that the new rule from the Biden administration de-emphasizes that and sort of makes it just one of a series of things. Um, now, of course, the NLRB is an independent agency, but the parallel timing and nature of the shifts within both the Labor Department, you know, Labor Board and the Department of Labor uh, underlines the importance of Biden's, the Biden administration has placed on uh, instilling a pro-worker bent to our country's labor laws. And, you know, obviously it remains to be seen how uh, this will respond, you know, how they, the Biden administration and the NLRB will respond to the backlash uh, to this decision that is, you know, sure to come from industry, but it will be a major test of political will to back up, you know, for them to back up these positions with action by enforcing the law against the largest and, you know, most egregious, deep-pocketed, well-connected violators of such law. So, you know, as we mentioned, that is, you know, remains to be seen, but it's something we will watch closely. Um, but unfortunately, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, well, I was just going to say, obviously, you know, m most of this rule is rolling back to you know, older um, stuff under Obama and, and and things like this. But I do think it's actually such a huge and important move. And especially with the state of the world and how much the a lot of the economy is moving to this. Um, I think it's just such an important conversation to have. And like I said, I think people on both sides can make legitimate arguments. I just I want to see this conversation be legitimate and kind of not used um, you know, obviously to just be so focused on overhead and profits and things like this. So um, yeah. It, it, I, I just think this is such an important conversation uh, that's going on. And so I'm just I'm really glad it's happening. Yeah. And it's great to kind of divorce it from the ping pong between, you know, one administration rolls back what the other one did or, you know, back and forth. But actually just yeah. have a, a real and nuanced discussion about, like, what this means for jobs across the board and how to fix that with each specific within each specific industry. Um, so, yeah, we will definitely keep an eye on this. And as this story develops, we will we will cover it again. Uh, but we are out of time here on Labor Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gillan. Have a great night. Ooh.
Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel Welcome to Prison Pipeline on KBOO Portland. I'm Karen James. To honor Martin Luther King Jr., here are excerpts from A Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. To Alabama Governor George Wallace, the continuation of segregation was a solemn promise. To Martin Luther King, it was a scourge he vowed to overcome. In the city of Birmingham, the Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, whose church and home 